Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, we have a nice uh, Wake Forest victory, uh, blowout fashion, a game that kind of had some very bizarre ebb and flow to it, but uh, at the end of the day, as dominant a performance as Florida State has had in quite a while, and um, as dominant a performance in conference as it's had in uh, a period of time that's honestly hard to uh, hard to believe. So we'll get into the details of the game as we always do. Try to give you a better idea as to what transpired on Saturday, and uh, as always, want to begin a podcast by thanking our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce for their continued uh, support. They are the title sponsor of this podcast, and any uh, feedback, interaction, or uh, support of their. Uh, product or their brand is very much appreciated and has been instrumental in allowing us to uh, grow the relationship that we have had with them. So thank you to you, the listener. Bud, excited to uh, look back at a weight game that had a little bit of everything in it. It did, man. It did. And by the way, speaking of dominant, a dominant uh, instant reaction podcast by you. I very much appreciate uh, you, you doing that as I was out of town. So like you mentioned, it's been a long time, Edgar, long time since uh, Florida State won a conference game by three or more scores. You know how long? 14 games. You got to go back to like early November 2016. Man, that's, that, that, that's an unbelievable stat. If, if you went into a coma, right, at the end of 2014, and I told you, hey, in this decade, there's going to be a stretch where Florida State does not win an ACC game by three or more scores. A stretch of 14 games. You would have thought it was pretty good drugs. And uh, and yet, here we are. So, a lot of takeaways that we have from this game. I, I think the, the number one takeaway I have from this is not really even about Florida State. And, and it, it's something, you know, I always look back, hey, how do we do on our predictions? Well, not that great, to be honest. I think we did a great job of outlining what Wake would try to do. But... I overestimated how good Wake was, right? Like that—that—that's a team in decline, and uh, and and I'm certainly not not going to do that with Wake the rest of the year in the uh, in, in in the gambling aspect. They're they're bad, and they were missing some key pieces. I didn't realize that when we recorded earlier in the week, and uh, they also uh, obviously one of their top receivers, or, well, the the top receiver, Greg Dorch, seemed to be pretty limited in this game. But that that's not a good team. That's that's probably the worst team in ACC. Um, by a lot. Complete agreement there. It was, uh, I, I think, in our own defense as far as just the, I believe they lost their their second uh, scholarship linebacker that they had left either maybe the night we recorded or afterwards. So um, it was, a, as I said previously, it was, a, it was not a good team and it was not a great defense and they were further depleted uh, by injuries. And then um, kind of Greg Deutsch's involvement was, was hard to make sense as far as uh, – I wasn't sure you were going to see him again. All of a sudden, in the third quarter, he pops up and uh, starts making a couple of receptions. But that is a poor team. Um, the offense is is kind of crazy what they try to do, but it's particularly limited if they get in bad situations. And the defense is uh, is just the worst unit you're going to see in conference, and one of the worst uh, wake defenses that you've seen over the past fifteen or twenty years, which is kind of a crazy statement to make but on on the whole they're you know whether it be the Nikita Whitlocks or the uh uh linebacker who the uh, Seattle team drafted that slips my mind they've had some pretty good defense and some pretty good defensive pieces and uh that that is not one that will be remembered as, as one of their better units for sure 
No, man, they just really don't have, don't have players. Um, so the first two drives were, uh, were really rough for State, obviously. Uh, two, three and outs, looking discombobulated, not not looking organized, not looking crisp. And uh, Willie Taggart must have given them guys a hell of a talking to on the sideline, man, because that was, that was rough uh, for sure. Um, after that, they really put together, and, and it was a weird first quarter, by the way. Right, you had actually Florida State's highest success rate by quarter of the of the whole game was the first quarter, and that was with those two three and outs. And so you got to think about this: how in the world does Florida State have its best success rate by quarter in in a quarter in which it had two three and outs? Well, it really turned it on after that, man. And there was a period in this game from sort of maybe five minutes left in the first to five minutes left in the third. Where they're ripping off like 414 yards on 49 plays, and and really could do no wrong, and, and, and Wake uh, Wake just had no answers, and, and that's basically where offensively the game was won. Um, so there, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about from the offense this week. A lot of things to talk about. I mean, we we saw, and as you would expect after a, a bye week, you saw the implementation of some. Uh, I don't know, new ideas, but uh, some new twist to uh, some things that they've been working in, new formations, some good, uh, maybe a little bit smoother use of motion. It's just an offense that's kind of finding itself, and it's also a offense that's had uh, just a couple tweaks and uh, put it in a little bit of a better place to operate, it appeared. Absolutely, man. I, I think that, that, is, that is spot on. They're just they're, they're continuing to try to tweak this thing and to do different things with it within the context of the actual offensive system, right? Which means they're not going to switch up everything that they're doing entirely. That's just not not something they want to do. It doesn't make sense for them. But if there's some things you can change around within what you do within the actual context of your offense, then okay, that's kind of cool, you know. Um, let, let's let's go ahead and see that. So. One of the things we saw this week was the jet action working extremely well for this team. Um, you know, I, I think that's something you have to continue to look for more and more. We know the jet action is a big part of, of Willie Taggart's system um, and, and something that's going to continue to be a big part of this offense in the coming years. Now, why does the jet work? Well, it makes the, deep, the, the backside defensive players respect the motion, so it, it gives you a nice cutback lane. It also you know, helps to take some guys out of the box at times. And you have to be able to, you know, threaten the jet to somebody who's actually decent athletes. So Treshawn Harrison or Nyquan Murray, um, you know, generally can get the job done there to varying degrees. Obviously, some defenses have struggled a little bit more against this jet action than others have. Uh, Wake Forest with with you know, several linebackers out uh, that they're going to struggle with a lot. But but if you if you notice, Florida State actually made kind of a subtle adjustment to the way they the way they do this, and it's not really a subtle adjustment to the way they do their jet action. But it is a subtle adjustment to how they were running the play off the jet. So in previous games, they had run a whole lot of counter, right? But in this game, they actually ended up running a lot of inside zone off the jet. Now, that that hits a little bit quicker uh, than than the counter does. Now, there's some advantages and disadvantages for the offensive line there. But I thought that was interesting. So it just shows me a number of things this staff is doing to try to, to make its offense better while still installing the offense and, and making it what they want it to be, as opposed to 
you know, hey, let's you know, let, let, let's run the triple option, or hey, let's do this or or that or, or any number of things. You know, I mean, you, you see our inbox every week. Um, also, if you notice this, some kind of cool stuff here. They would have uh, they would have um, Keith Gavin actually work as a bit of like an insert look, which which was kind of neat. And, and in doing that, it, it gives you an extra blocker at the point of attack and, and, and sort of makes a replacement gap. But it also on one of them, it looks like they almost bluffed a shovel pass, which is kind of kind of a neat idea if you want to you know, go ahead and throw a little shovel to Keith, a good way to get a ball in one of your better athletes' hands. Um, but it just it, it's another thing that that future opponents are going to have to think about. So. Pretty neat there, um, and then I thought the uh, the, the decision making certainly on, on the fourth down and three from what the thirty, I think it was like the thirty seven or something like that. Uh, absolutely the right call by Willie Taggart. We, we want to see that. I mean, that is something that as a coach, you have complete control over ma- making the right decision or the wrong decision, and, and we, we give you a lot of leeway in, in, in sort of the gray areas. But that's not a gray area. That that, that is absolutely go for it area, and he did so. Uh, very excited to see. Uh, to see that Florida State did indeed do that. So very, very smart. And honestly, pretty good management by, by both coaches in this game with their fourth down decisions. It was good to see us uh, do that. I'm not going to have to sit here and call anybody brave for doing it. It's just the the smart thing to do. And it's uh, uh, Wake Forest was able to do it to Florida State. And uh, I'm pretty sure they were able to do it against 10 men. So that's always a, a good thing to be able to try to do if you're going to go for it on fourth down. So uh, we can circle back to the defense later. Don't mean to uh, rabbit trail us. But, yeah, it was uh, it was good to see uh, both coaches embrace that. And it was good to see Florida State uh, make the right call and be successful in doing it. Uh, you know who you get, you know who gets to play 11 on 10, Ingram? Mm. Vegas. Good call. <laughs> so... Uh, now, here's the things that, that were kind of a little bit of a red flag or, or disappointing to me. Um, I really don't think the offensive line looked all that good, and I don't think they're very good. I've kind of said this before. There's a lot of players up there who I don't think are good players or, or even average players at the Power 5 level. We've, we've covered that on, on the Nolcast a number of times as to why uh, that is. A, a huge combination of, of attrition and injury have gone on. Um, but uh, – yeah, that was concerning. The other thing that, that I think is real concerning here, um, it didn't matter so much in this game, but in, in the coming games, this is not repeatable, right? This is why I don't think a lot of this offensive improvement is going to carry over a whole lot in the final five games of the year. I mean, not to mention Florida State is the number two remaining schedule in the entire nation. So uh, good luck with that. Their uh, ISO PPP, so isolated points per play, uh, which is an explosiveness measure, on passing down, so third and five or more, second and seven or more, one point eight eight, which is bonkers. Yeah, that's just, really just, high. That, that that's that's real high, man. Um, I mean, now look, I'm not saying it's like the highest in the nation or like that. It's not, but I will say this: with this offensive line, that is not a sustainable number. Jander Francois on passing downs, ten and fifteen. For a buck sixty, average per attempt ten point seven. There is no chance in hell that he does anything close to that in those remaining five games on passing downs. Passing downs for this offense in the prior, you know, six games were pretty much death downs. Everybody listening to the show should expect those passing downs to absolutely go back to being death downs. This was a one-game reprieve 
playing a bad defense that you could get away with doing that. In the coming games, you cannot. There's just no way. Maybe Boston College can have some success because BC's defense this year has been a little bit more leaky than expected. But this is kind of like one of those, you know, I, I watch the games, and I know you do too, and we talked about it before the show. What are areas that might be sustainable and what are areas that are not? This is one of those areas that are not sustainable for the offense. One uh, one kind of complaint that we will periodically hear about the offense, uh, and certainly it has some things that we can be critical of, um, is a, is an idea that we're running the ball uh, at some kind of disproportionate amount, or um, almost as though it's it's some kind of act of stubbornness. Uh, stats don't really back that up, and I and I guess not so much to like belittle people who have a train of thought that sometimes is hard to realize where they're coming from, but maybe we can, we can pair with a realization that they're throwing the ball more than I think people realize and spin that off into a debate as to how much you think that is uh, of the offense moving forward or whether or not it's the, uh, the wise strategy to try to employ it at noon on Saturday this week. Yeah, so uh, 60% passes in this game. 42 pass plays, 28 run plays. Based on my like our Twitter timeline, I was like, uh, I, I, I didn't get to watch this game live. I watched it on DVR. I was, I was hiking in Asheville. It was pretty cool. Uh, but I, I expected to fire this thing up and, and see a Florida State team that was you know, running the ball 75% of the time. And that just wasn't the case. I mean, 42 pass plays, 28 runs, 60%. In addition, Ingram, the last four plays of the game for FSU were runs. So before that, they had gone 42-24. I mean, that, that's a, a ton of passes about, compared to runs, compared to what this team normally does. Um, so I don't know, like, where that's coming from. And, and I, I do kind of wonder, like, is the criticism or, or complaint being, uh, you know, misstated or, or poorly crafted? Like maybe what the fans are trying to say is, you know, we're, we're, we're passing all better, better than we're running it. Why, why are we running it at all? And uh, I think the answer to that is um, somewhat evident in the Miami game, which, you know, and maybe some other games too, like, like this team is not a team that can pass protect consistently against better teams. Now, you could you could probably have thrown it even more against Wake Forest if you wanted to throw it eighty percent of the time against Wake. Sure, knock yourself out. But but what what does that accomplish? You know, um, I, I I don't know that I actually get that criticism all that much. I also don't think that throwing the ball all over the place is something that you want to be doing in the coming games, like like against Clemson. Uh, now you may have to eventually, like if Clemson gets up by thirty or something in the third quarter. Then you know you and you're running the ball a whole lot. You're basically just telling the world you're packing it in in a not so subtle way. But uh, man, I I don't know. Do you, do you think they're running the ball too much? No, no, certainly not. I think I think people get frustrated maybe with with some of the plays that they run with the personnel that they have. Uh, I think maybe people remember things that frustrate them more about this offense or about this coaching staff than. Uh, than that they enjoy seeing, and that some of the you know some of the non successes that they have running the ball sticks out in people's mind more. Uh, I don't know, but I, I'm I'm lost at how you could uh, how you could watch that game in particular and, and be uh, concerned with how much this team is is running the ball or, or running the ball too much. 
you know, the Wake idea, or excuse me, the Clemson idea and, and going, you know, trying to play that team and throw the ball 50 or 55 times. Look, Clemson is, is Clemson, and they're one of the only other big blue-blooded programs in this conference that you play, and one of the only programs that can uh, pair with you as far as a focus on football and resources behind it. Um, so it's it's very bizarre that I say this, but I would be more interested in uh, in in the NC State game and getting out of the Clemson game in a manner that you can be competitive uh, with NC State. So I don't know that throwing the ball 50 or 55 times, maybe it gives you a chance to, to play with an opponent that the rosters would tell you you don't have much of a chance. Uh, but it also may leave you with a, a team and a roster that isn't able to compete with a vast majority of its schedule, a schedule that it's going to struggle with as is. So uh, not to be long-winded there, but there's there's some parts of this and parts of uh, the fan base that would like to employ. And we talked about this, I think, before the Miami game. Why, why don't they just throw it 90 times a game, or 90% of the time, rather? Uh, that You just can't do that, and you, you sure, as, sure as hell can't do that with the per- personnel that you have up front. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and your point, by the way, about managing the rest of the year is a good one. Um, Willie Taggart has repeatedly told Darren Francois, you cannot hold the ball this long. You've got to get out of the pocket. You, you've, you've got to take off and run. You cannot go through all four reads or all five reads. You just don't have time to do that, man. One, two, and go. Get out of there. And Francois repeatedly just does not do what he asks, period. Like he, Some of these shots are, are on Francois. Certainly. He just takes huge he took shots. Two, two against Wake Forest, there were the guy of number twelve all but jumped up and down and told him he was blitzing. I mean, it, it's not like the guy came in some kind of complicated, uh, delayed blitz or something like that. He, he just and look, I'm not DeAndre Francois had a great day, career day. Uh, so I wasn't going to sit there in the instant and start picking apart parts of his game, uh, particularly in the latter part of the game where he was so successful, but. He does not seem to have the ability to identify like where he's about to get murdered, and he ends up taking a bunch of murder shots because of it. Right. And so, like, if you are Willie Taggart and you're trying to get this team to a bowl game, and that's clearly the goal because you haven't scrapped you know, some of the stuff and, and just gone full-on youth move, which I think if you didn't care about making a bowl, you'd probably do. Um, there, there's some guys you'd, you'd want to move on from, in my opinion. Well, if you're gonna if you're if you're trying to make a bowl, beating Clemson is not part of that plan. It's really not, right? And we said that before the year too. Like I, I expect Clemson to kill FSU before the year, and I expect Clemson to, to murder FSU as well. Right now, I mean more so than it did at the start of the year, obviously. Um, dropping Francois back with this offensive line against that defensive line that many times, that could get him hurt. Like legitimately increase the odds of him getting hurt with all the shots he's going to take because you know he doesn't get rid of the ball. He holds on to it. Well, good luck. Good luck winning on the road at NC State or you know being Florida or Boston College, of which you need to do two of those three things unless you're the mindset that the Notre Dame game is actually in play, and I'm not. Um, so maybe manage that game in, in a way that you know it looks like you're trying to win, but unless you get like a ton of turnovers in your favor, something that gives you an actual real shot to win entering the second half. Uh, you know, I, I do think running the ball a lot, shortening the game there, and, and, and keeping that clock running is, is probably the right way uh, to go. 
um, against them. But I, I want to praise Francois, though, for sure. Um, he did have a huge day. And he started out terrible, man. I mean, like, like you said, two of seven to start out for 16 yards. After that, I think he was like 27 for 33 for 330-plus. Like night and day. Whatever they did on the sidelines or, or whatever he said to him, um, that was that was great. That was a big change. Now, certainly, you know some of these these you know some of these passes were exceptional efforts by the receivers, and they, they deserve some credit for that. Uh, and he had a couple where I was like, man, if he actually just puts it on the money, that guy's going to run forever. You know, there are a couple along the sideline that, that throw. I mean, I, I thought he was going to throw it, you know, into the crowd almost, and it, it came down in bounds, but. But just barely, the guys who were wide, wide open, um, and, you, and you pointed that on the instant as well. Uh, so overall, a really nice day, especially statistically for Francois. On, on the read stuff, maybe a little bit of improvement overall, but uh, but still, you know, he's he's not running the ball much, man. Um, and and you know, I, I don't think this run game is going to be great if you're always in shotgun and, and your quarterback's not much of a run threat. Um, I did like though that they they play they, they seem to be getting more and more comfortable playing with tempo. I mean they they, they get up to the line better. They, they make a lot fewer alignment mistakes than they did in, in the, the first half of the year. This is something that we we complained about in the first half of the year, and we wondered okay, how long will it take to fix it, and how long will it take to you know for, for them to be able to get lined up consistently at tempo? And to their credit, they've reduced that a whole lot while actually playing a whole lot of players on offense. It's uh, certainly a more I think I think everybody just got a nice bout of confidence at some point in that game, and and things just started to run more smoothly, and uh, just more faith in in what was being asked of them. And uh, you're right that it does look like that they've streamlined a little bit, got people a little more comfortable uh, with what's being asked of them, and and are now starting to kind of build upon the base. Uh, so uh, credit there still saw one uh didn't we have one play early on that uh that was lost because of a because of a poor lineup or a, a illegal formation but uh, a big big step in the right direction as far as uh ability to run the offense and ability to run the offense with a little bit of pace i also want to uh while we're being um while we're giving francois and wide receivers credit that the the best play of the game is one that the statistics are not going to reflect and it's a shame that was uh that was just a exceptional effort by terry and a, a really really nice ball really nice thrown ball by uh by a francois there so uh could have could even been more impressive as far as what the final stat sheet looked like oh dude that, that, was, that was a beautiful throw look throwing the ball Francois does, does a nice job. I think he's actually been throwing it with better touch this year. You know, um, putting the ball over people sometimes has been a problem, and he hasn't been perfect with it this year. But but he certainly has done a little bit better job of it at times. So that's good to see as well. Um, you know, and you wonder if he's here next year um, or, or if he you know looks to go to a place that chucks the ball around more. Um, you know, as a grad transfer or something. I guess we'll have to see. Uh, speaking of somebody who played a lot better, Ken Akers, man. I thought I thought had a, a strong day, high success rate with his runs, but but also high explosiveness. Felt it just felt good seeing him bust out, you know, and, and actually taking one to the house and, and finishing the run. I thought that was great. Um, I I don't know that the line actually blocked better for him. You know, I think he just ran better, better patience like to the hole, and then more trusting, and then exploding through the hole once it opened up and. 
And look, yeah, it's it's Wake Forest. I get it. They're bad, and Florida State won't have holes like that to run the rest of the year unless it makes a bowl game. And then whoever they play in a bowl game will probably be a pretty bad team. Um, but still, just just a nice day for Cam. It was good to see. He went, what, um, 98 yards on 13 carries and then also three catches? It was uh, really nice to see from Cam. And uh, I'll, I'll give uh, Wayne and some other people on the beat who, who tweeted this out. Uh, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, but th- it didn't. That didn't look like a normal touchdown celebration on the sideline. I mean, it was it was pretty evident that a lot of his teammates were really happy for him, and that he had been, uh, you know, just either frustrated with his his lack of ability to burst out, or that that was a that was a long time coming. And uh, you know, there's certainly been some some rumors about Cam maybe trying to find a better situation for him as far as the fit with the system or whatever else. Who knows how true that is uh, as far as a possible transfer, but it's obvious that a lot of people are really happy for him and uh, that he's a, you know, has people on the sideline that are are very much in his corner. Dude, there's no doubt. This team still plays hard and they still play for each other. That, that, That is one thing that's very evident here. You know, if you're wondering, have they quit on each other or anything like that? If not, they, they they still play hard. They still play for each other. They still really you know prop each other up. Um, and and no more evident than that so far has been the receiver group. Man, those guys are are really celebrating when when they do well. They block pretty well on, on Saturday. Now, granted, I know it's Wake. Yeah, but um, I'm, I think it's fair to celebrate when this team does something well, pretty much regardless of opponent, because so far they have not done a whole lot of things well this year on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know. I like Keith Gap or Keith Gavin's explosiveness. I would like him to hold the ball in the uh, in the outside arm, you know, down the sideline. I know some programs don't teach switch the ball, but uh, but I, I think switching the ball would have been the right call there. Um, but man, you know, Tamari and Terry, like you said, catching that deep ball that got negated by penalty, but also having another nice catch. And then Nyquan Murray, you know, going what eight eight catches for a buck thirty eight or something like that, wide open twice, caught both of them. They're eight for a buck thirty one. And a touchdown, um, eleven targets on the day, eight eight catches, so very high yards per target for him as well. I mean, that's what uh, like twelve yards a target. I mean, you take that all day for sure. His yards per target was a lot more than any other receiver target. I think uh, Tamari and Terry was like seven 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 eight, if, if my math on that is right. Um, you know, he, he was the second highest as far as yards per target numbers. So. Really good to see that there from Florida State. And and overall in the day, I mean, they outgained Wake in yards by, by like 100 and, 110, 100, 115. But yards per play, which I know we, we hype, you know, we really kind of harp on in this podcast a lot. Yards per play, Florida State 6.9, Wake 3.5. That's enormous, man. That That is a huge Huge difference, and that really kind of illustrates the the difference in explosiveness in this game. Because Florida State, they had their best success rate day uh, on the year, but they also had a really high explosiveness rating. Eighty eight sure looks like a hell of a player, doesn't he? I mean, that's that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch how they work him into the offense. So, can we talk about how they they? I mean, I know we we talked about this a little bit. I'll probably write an article on this soon. I don't I don't want to jump the gun, but man. They, they, I think they really hit on this class. Looks like it. Really hit on this class. I mean, big time, dude. Um, so I'm, I'm, 
I'm impressed by that. Like they didn't have a whole lot of time to put this thing together, and yet, I mean, Keyshawn Helton, they like a lot. I, I was talking to, to a scout today and said, "Hey, if if we think Harrison looks like he has the you know the potential to be a top hundred type pick, which athletically there's no doubt that that that's what future really good picks look like as freshmen." And if you think Keyshawn Helton can, can become a very dependable, good college slot guy, I think you've got to feel really good about, about your chances of getting a, a very good college player out of either Warren Thompson or Jordan Young, right? I mean, dude, you might, you might hit all three starters in the coming years, not next year, but like the year after that, the year after that, all three starters at receiver in one class. That's real impressive. And they love Anthony Grant. Um, you know, I, I know we'll talk about defense in a minute. Big Robert Cooper looks like like a hit. Xavier Peters flashed a little bit in this ball game too. Um, and and the young corners, like I think they're going to be pretty damn good with this recruiting class. Like, there's very few guys in that class that I'm looking at. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know about him. You know, we'll, we'll see. Like, for having so little time to put that together. We know transition classes are historically bad classes compared to your normal average. I'm impressed by how well how well they scouted that thing out. They did a really yeah, nice I'll job. Also, add that uh, they keep getting Leonard Warner involved in in passing. Uh, he's, he seems to be in their third and long uh, defense, or at least he has a role of spying the quarterback more and more. There's a lot of a lot of true freshmen that have carved out roles for themselves. Uh, really, really impressive uh, returns from that class so far. Absolutely, man. So, uh, with oh, offensive line, um, thought Baby on Johnson looked uh, athletic. You know, he moved around fairly well. We'll see if he's uh, if they trust him in a game. Um, you know, like a game importance, but that, that was interesting. He replaced Mike Arnold for a little while uh, when Brady Scott went down. Look, look, no disrespect to Brady Scott intended. I think he's going to be a solid player before state. But it says a lot, a whole lot, that you're like, oh, my God, Brady Scott went down, and you go into a moment of panic because you know that there's no backup who can actually play. I mean, we've covered this ad, ad nauseum, but, dude, that, that kind of hits it home for you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, you know what else is good? Our longtime sponsorship partner, Mattis Social, Central, and Township, the Four the Table Restaurant Group, they're not just good. They're great. No letdown year from them. And uh, with a huge, huge game against Clemson this weekend, a lot of people are going to be in town looking to get some great grub, maybe some local craft beer, nice cocktail, or do a little brunch. Ingram, where should they go, man? Where, where, where would you go? I'd head right on over to Township or Madison Social. Uh, certainly, uh, Township will be having the uh, For the Table Bloody Mary that is uh, uh, really like a meal and a half in and of itself. You're looking at a slider, a donut, a couple waffles. I believe in onion rings involved, um, Soto mini donut, uh, Centrale risotto balls, Madison Social's chicken and waffles, and Township's burger and fried pickle all feature in uh, what is one of the more comprehensive uh, Bloody Marys that uh, that you can stumble across. And I'm pretty sure if that's not uh, if that's not your wish, you could scale down to a uh, a Nolcast Bloody Mary over at uh, Madison Social. So. Keep that in mind uh, for a noon game. Bloodies may uh, may be the route to go, and uh, you're not going to find a better one at uh, anywhere in Tallahassee other than the restaurants uh, that make up the For the Table restaurant group. 
Absolutely great business. Noel owned and I support the Noel cast to the max and, uh, and you know, for a great long-term partnership there to continue. So with that, let's talk about something that was even better than the offense uh, and almost as good as the four the table restaurant group. And that is the defense. Ingram, uh, man, I, I was pretty impressed by, by, by this defense on, on the day, three and a half yards of play for wake uh, uh, with a lot of plays. They, they, <laughs> They faced a ton of plays, man. A ton of plays. And uh, I mentioned on the Instant Reaction progress that, or Instant Reaction podcast that for about a five or six minute window, you could extrapolate just hilarious numbers that Wake was on. But literally, they were, at one point, they were on pace to run 164 plays, which is fictitious. That's got to be a record, right? For for non uh, non overtime game, that would be that would be quite the quite the record. And I would I would hate to see what our depth chart as far as an injury report would look like after uh, facing something like that. But uh, it's like everybody is questionable yeah, with, with exhaustion. Everybody is questionable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it was a really really fantastic performance. Brian Burns is somebody that. Uh, uh, we've mentioned all year long, and um, I mentioned in the post game pod, and just had a fantastic day. And and not as he uh, not only just in uh, beating a offensive tackle, he made some really smart plays. There was one play in particular where um, he was able to defend both the quarterback and a pitch man on an option, which is an an error in running the offense by the quarterback, but still a really heady smart play uh, by your defensive end. And he's just having himself a uh, a very very special year. He really is, man. That whole defensive line, I thought, had a good day of of mixing their aggressiveness with their discipline. Wake Forest offense is really unique. That's what I, I we tried to to profile on the, the preview podcast, just how different it is. And it's just – I think it's hard to prepare for that, to be honest. And I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just noting that it is weird how they play. I mean, they, they hold that mesh point so long – and then all of a sudden they'll pull it out and they'll try to throw it over your head on, on the RPO game or, or they'll pull it out and the quarterback will run it. Um, but yet, you know, Brian Burns affecting the quarterback all day, really, really putting pressure on that offense all day. The FSU had five sacks on the day. And, man, you know, this was interesting because I, I I went and I watched it and I was like, man, Wake executed like crazy on the opening series, you know, Uh and there were a lot of plays where I felt like, man, this is like inches away from being stopped, you know. And I, I never was really – and this is hindsight bias potentially because I, I knew the outcome of the game. But I was never like watching it thinking, all right, what they're doing is something that you can't stop. I was a little bit worried in watching it, you know, thinking, okay, if they get a huge lead here, Florida State's out of its comfort zone on offense. And defensively, it, it – Wake is is having success with stuff that's kind of like just inches of success. What happens if they start hitting some big plays? But they they never did. I mean, Florida State held their explosiveness rating down to to ridiculous levels. They they were .5 explosive in rushing and .98 in passing. And and no play action stuff worked for them at all. .57 in standard down explosive rating. Only 1.0 in passing downs, .72 for the game. If you haven't figured this out, folks, if your if your explosiveness rating is a decibel, like like less than one, that's not real good. So really nice job by the defense there. And one thing I noticed that Florida State did change, and Willie Taggart addressed this uh, in his press conference on Monday, and I think he also said it on on, uh, on Saturday, was that he he kind of uh, they, they stopped substituting in like the middle of drives, right? Instead, they they would they'd rotate players, but it'd be like between series, not not uh, not not in the middle of the drive. 
And I think one of the reasons why they struggled with this so so much in, in the first two series, Wake Forest was going like extreme hurry-up tempo, which we knew they do, right? We, we said, hey, guys, this, this is the fastest tempo in the nation. But they were doing this after like incomplete on first and 10. Most teams don't do that, you know? Like most teams, okay, if they have a good play on first and 10, they'll get up there and they'll hurry the line. Um, most teams do not, Ingram – Snap the ball with 35 seconds left on the clock after an incomplete pass on first down. Or operate at such a pace that their offensive tackle looks like, uh, you know, looks like a, a, well, just is throwing up on himself. I'll I'll put it that way. Uh, Because of the pace that they're running. Now, maybe he's sick, something like that. But I don't know that you see offensive football players vomiting uh, all that frequently. And uh, I'm going to guesstimate that perhaps it was tied to the – the conditions and the pace uh, that they were trying to play at. If you look at like when Florida State was getting caught in their substitutions and, and, and not being lined up, a vast majority of those I really believe are, are, are plays that came after like Wake mistakes, you know, or, or not mistakes, but but like on plays in which Wake substituted, uh, or excuse me, like they occurred on plays in which Wake went extremely up tempo after like an incomplete pass or, or a failed run, you know, and, and Florida State was thinking, okay, cool, we can get better. We can get better personnel in the field now for this situation. It's longer down the distance. And Wake's like, oh, no, no, we're just going to go extremely fast, even though it's now second and 10. And uh, um, look, that was an interesting strategy. Florida State's adjustment to it was uh, fairly obvious after two series, you know. And then once Florida State did make its adjustment to that, um, Wake didn't do a damn thing the rest of the game. I say interesting because I don't really think what Wake was doing uh, was sustainable, right? Like, Florida State was not going to sit there and try to substitute in those situations for four quarters. They did it for about nine minutes. And then they're like, okay, well, if you guys are really going to do this, we're just going to stop substituting during drives, and we'll just we'll just swap out guys after the drive. And that, that seemed to work uh, extremely well. Uh, Burns had a, a great day. Like we mentioned, uh, Jonathan Kando has had two consecutive games in a row that he has uh, presented himself well, which is a great thing to see after more or less being a non-factor uh, for the first five games of the year. Uh, Janarius Robinson had a nice day. Great great to see him uh, uh, perform as well as he did, particularly with a backstory on everything that had occurred in his uh, his native city and, and his home and uh, by now, I'm sure the vast majority of our audience is aware as to the uh, GoFundMe campaign that was created for he and his family after their home was uh, more or less totally devastated by Hurricane Michael. So, uh, great day for the defensive line, and uh, great great to see number eleven have a have a really solid effort out there on Saturday. And you know what? He was in control too. Like if you watch Janarius, he played hard, but but he. I, I did wonder. I was like, I wonder. You know, I mean, the guy just just lost his his childhood home. And, you know, his 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 mom's effectively homeless now. They're nice job, Noel fans. By the way, stepping up, man. What they raised like eighty thousand in, in just a couple hours to, to to help his family get back on their feet and and rebuild their home. I know we donated and, and, and shared the link and, and saw saw an awful lot of uh, familiar names uh, as far as listener names on the on the donation sheet there and. Uh, uh, I, we we laugh at this guy all the time, but also tip of the hat uh, to Danny Cannell for for doing very much the right thing, and uh, nice nice to see him get involved in that. 
Yeah, it, uh, DK stepping up with, with, with four figures there, and, uh, and that, that, that was awesome for him. And also, you know, look, he's got, what, almost half a million Twitter followers and, and a national radio show. Don't, don't think that, that, that that's a small contribution. You know, it, it's an easy contribution, but, but the impact is not small to hit that retweet button, right? Especially if you add a comment to it and say, hey, look, you know, this is a great cause. Let's, let's do this. There's value in that too. I mean, that was awesome to see Danny do that. So, um, you know, to put your money behind it and also sh- share the word, that was great. Uh, but you know, Janarius didn't come out and play on discipline. I thought he was pretty disciplined. He, he helped shut down the run a good bit. Um, Brian Burns, like you said, dominant. Josh Kendo, I wish he didn't get ejected for targeting late in the game, but that was a pretty clear targeting from the angles that I was able to see. And uh, you look, Corey Durden and, and, and Big Robert Cooper, man. Uh, had me feeling pretty pretty happy about like like how this defensive line is going to look next year on the interior. Tough. Corey Durden has had had himself quite the year. Really emerged. Continued to play uh, at a high level. You can just see that that is a that is a piece that future defensive lines will be built around, and a, a guy that uh, continues to continues to get a little bit better each time he goes out there. So. Uh, I watch those two guys, Durden and Cooper, right? And I can't help but thinking, man, body-wise, you know, Durden still's got like pretty small arms. You know what I mean? Like, like he can get he can get more muscled, and Robert Cooper could probably lose like fifteen or thirty pounds uh, in the off season and become even quicker and have better stamina and be able to play more more plays and have a greater impact. If they can do that, who's going to be on the bench? Because you got to keep in mind. There's a guy named Marvin Wilson, who's probably your best defensive tackle still, starting. I didn't even say his name before now. That's going to be a hell of a rotation inside for those guys next year. A lot of uh, just fantastic to see those guys continue to emerge. And uh, Robert Cooper, uh, that's that's probably the biggest pair of pants I've ever seen a football player wear. I got to say, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's impressive. Uh, good, good on you, Big Coop. Great to see him out there from... Uh, from one guy who needs a particularly large uniform to uh, one gentleman who doesn't, but it was good to see him out there. Uh, Emmett Rice, not not necessarily a name that we expected to see back on the field this year. Yeah, look, I was very impressed by Emmett Rice. It, it it's very clear that Rice has a a, a uh, size speed factor that the other linebackers do not. Like Dontavious is bigger, but he's not nearly as quick. To Kalen Brooks, I don't think he's as quick, and he's certainly a lot smaller than Rice looks. Um, Rice is a kid who we knew had ability. Just could he learn the defense, and more importantly, um, you know how how would he be coming back from his knee injury? And I actually thought that he might redshirt this year, um, and I was told that was the plan by somebody who would definitely know. So for him not to redshirt tells me that he's been showing more progress in practice uh, than, than they expected him to, and that's a great sign because that tells me he's ahead of schedule. Um, so so really cool there to see him at Rice. Um, you know what else is cool, man? Resolution Home Loans, great sponsor. Chad and Shannon, when you when you call 844-FSU Loan, they will hook you up with the best home loan in the business. Great rates, awesome customer service. They they want they want to play they want to play up tempo, man. But they want to be organized. They, they don't want any false start penalties. They don't want any lining up in the backfield. They don't want illegal formation. They don't want a legal man downfield. They want all legal all the time, but up tempo. And they want to walk you through it. I believe we are closing in on our tenth. Nolcast loan through them, awesome, and uh, and just 
I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed about this partnership, dude. These guys do great work. We've had nothing but good feedback from them. They get a bun- bunch of really really nice ratings on, on Google and, and all the feedback sites as well. And uh, now's a great time to buy a home. It's actually a really good time to buy because there's a lot of there's a lot of inventory out there. A lot of people who didn't get their 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 home sold over summer are now like, oh man, got to drop some prices here. I don't I don't really want to be holding this thing go, going in, into 20, 2019. And, and so there, there's some deals to be had out there. If you're looking for a home loan, eight four four FSU loans or FSU home loans. Dot com eight four four FSU loan or FSU home loans.com and uh, they'll they'll know the old cast sent you and if you do get a loan through them email us so we can send you that shirt defensive backs uh, really solid performance uh, Stanford Samuels continues to play uh, very well uh, Levanta Taylor uh, had moments particularly early where it could have been a could have been a, a rough day maybe not his best effort overall but uh I think the storyline that you take away from this game is is the emergence of just as we talked about the defensive line, the emergence of some really talented pieces. Uh, I think I think uh, a lot of Florida State fans are going to be real big Sante Samuel Jr. fan by the time he leaves campus. No doubt, dude. I, I mean, we mentioned earlier in the show, but like Asante Samuel, AJ Lighton. They like these two young corners. These guys are getting a lot of run. And in big games, man, this is pretty impressive stuff that they're doing. So I'm really excited to see how these guys emerge. They're pretty fearless. They play aggressive. They're making mistakes on the fly and learning on the fly. And I'm here for it. Samuels reminds me a lot of Tay Cody. That's, a, that's an older, older cornerback reference. But uh, he just he's disruptive as hell, man. He, he, you know, obviously the Miami – uh, play and he's he's working with some physical limitations, but the guy is getting his hand around the ball all all the time and is uh, is is not somebody that's going to be fun to fun to have to uh, play against. Dude, real real quick kid, like top end speed, okay, quickness really nice, and that, that that's showing up. The, the way he closes on the ball in short space is is really cool to see. So. Uh, very happy with that. Levante Taylor, I mean, he may just be pressing a little bit right now. I don't mean press coverage. I mean, just, just maybe trying too hard, you know, trying to make things happen. Um, and, and so we'll see kind of what's going on there. It looks like he came out of the game for a little bit, and, and Stanford Samuels got a little bit of run at corner as well. Uh, but overall, the secondary wasn't really tested much um, because with Greg Dorch being hurt, he the other guys, like we said in, in, in the, the preview show, they didn't scare you, and and that was dead on, man. The, the um, gosh, now I'm forgetting their names, but the Colburn and 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 uh, Washington and 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 Robert Roberson and, and Surratt and Bachman, just just not real scary. Their, their yards per target in this one were uh, were extremely low. I mean, four point four, three point seven, six four. Just just nothing nothing real impressive there. So. Nice job by the secondary to make a, a bad set of receivers, which is what I think Wake has when, when Dork is hurt. You know, make a bad group look bad. That's that's your goal if you're at Florida State, and, uh, and they did that. So cool to see, and uh, we'll have to see what else goes on with this unit in the coming weeks. I have a feeling that they will be much more challenged uh, than than they were in this ballgame, man. Um, but uh, – just interesting things going on with the secondary there. They they, they seem 
they seem to be pretty well coached. The one thing I noticed, like, you don't really see a whole lot of guys running wide open against them. You know, like, that, that's one thing we did see last year, just the, the free runners in the secondary don't seem to happen as much. That's a good point. Uh, certainly the, been the case. Um, anything else you, I guess, I guess we should mention special teams real briefly. Uh, Aguayo uh, misses a, a pretty makeable kick and kind of a continued uh, seasons of uh, up and downs for him. Uh, what I would take away more is, and not that you want to extrapolate a ton uh, from, from one play in particular, but we're not, uh, we're not exactly exhibiting some fantastic pieces of tackling examples. Uh, on the punt team right now that's it's been a team that's been challenging all year whether it be getting the punt off or uh or maybe not downing the punt while it's actively rolling down the field or some other highlights that we've had but uh it's uh just the the one the first punt in particular is a, a frustrating situation where you have a chance to wrap a kid up and limit maybe a two or three yard return and he ends up getting loose and you're you're the benefit of a penalty there but uh if you want to nitpick, still some some things to clean up in the special team game. Yeah, I, you could definitely be tackling better. Um, look, I don't really need kill shots on special teams. I just need you to get the guy on the ground. And uh, early on, they did have some issues with that. I think they cleaned it up more later in the game. So, again, you want to see coaching and improvement in areas where you think coaching and improvement can happen, right? Like, you're not instantly going to get better players, but if there are certain technique issues, maybe you can make incremental improvements uh, over the course of the year, or if there are certain you know certain mental error uh, type issues, maybe you can improve over that. But yeah, kind of a weird day for special teams, right? Aguayo misses that one that is pretty makeable, and then he drills a forty-nine yarder, no problem. So such is uh, such as Aguayo, I guess. Um, should also mention that Florida State had negative seven point seven turnover points in this game, so uh, their turnover luck continues. Uh, they had a lot of tip passes that could have been picked off and just fell to the ground. And as we know, you know, tip balls and fumble recoveries are—they have a huge luck component. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think you can feel pretty good about this win. Florida State played a bad team. Florida State is not a bad team. They just are a. Um, how would I describe Florida State? Florida State is an upper half college football team with a top five schedule, right? And when it, when a team that's you know kind of like maybe 50th best in the nation like Florida State probably is or around there. When they play a top five level schedule, uh, that they have a legitimate chance to miss a bowl game. And that looks like what is most likely to happen. But uh, some interesting uh, bowl probability updates. Bill Connolly, I saw, had FSU at 46% now after last week to make a bowl. Positive trend there. Uh, I don't know that anything that I saw transpire on Saturday would uh, – would make me feel that way, unless maybe you feel slightly more comfortable about Florida State going to Raleigh uh, after seeing what Clemson did. But uh, it is uh, – I, I myself would probably keep my numbers fairly close to where they've been. Might might tick them up 2 or 3% just because you got a, a, got a win that was expected, but still not something that was guaranteed. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably, you know, sitting somewhere between the uh, – High high thirties to right around fifty percent if you're if you're looking to project what the real possibility of Florida State making a bowl game. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower than Bill as well. I think I'm right with you there. High high thirties, maybe forty percent. Um, but that's still a lot better than it was just a couple weeks ago. They, they they keep getting these wins that you feel like they have to get. So that's big time. Um, 
just, you know, you, you feel a little bit better about, about the team and its progress. Uh, they're not going to be great this year. They're not even really going to be good this year, but they, they might end up being above average. We'll see. It'll just depend. You know, what, what is this team's mental toughness? No, excuse me, mental tough. Not, hopefully, not mental toughness. Mental toughness, like over the fa- over the last few games of the year, because you, you definitely got some losses coming. 